welcome back to They Made Another One, where each week we study an often forgotten installment in a franchise and see how it holds up all on its own. I'm one of your hosts, Corey. And I'm your other host, Liam. And it's the future now. <laughs> I need to do that again. What the heck does that mean? <laughs> it's, uh, it's 2020. Oh, a new year. It's and new year. that's the future it. now. <laughs> I, I was immediately not psyched with how that whole thing went, and then you didn't get it, so it it didn't work on a lot of different levels. Um, it's fine. And now we're just talking about how it didn't work. And now we're just really. It's a whole now ordeal. we're just talking. I have to fix my volume. Oh boy, everybody. Uh, let's hope your year started better than ours because it's 2020 now, <laughs> and um, in honor of the New Year's celebrations. Um, that people are probably taking part in. Liam and I thought we would do something a little bit different than what we normally do. We didn't watch an often forgotten installment in a franchise this week. We did, however, watch a bunch of other movies because the idea that we had was that we now have a catalog of 22 episodes and we thought it might be interesting to go back through all the series that we've visited just far and... Um, if we hadn't seen the original film in that franchise to check out the original and we can sort of try to get more context or a bit of an appreciation for where these things come from. And we would talk more about those films that said, we're not going to sit here and talk for six hours about 20 movies. Um, so there's a few things that are not on this list. We have maybe seven or eight things we'll probably go into and um, we'll do them chronologically as they come up. But before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit about New Year's because that's a very exciting time for people. Time, speaking of, is completely arbitrary and meaningless, but a lot of people decide at the beginning of a year to try new things or become better versions of themselves. And so, Liam, I want to throw it over to you and ask if you have any New Year's traditions that you do or if you're a resolutions person or if you have any big plans for the roaring 20s ahead of us or what. Not a resolutions person. Uh, this is my first New Year's out of school. You know, both you and I did school for like 20 years. And so the way it works in Canada and probably America is that the New Year is right smack dab in the middle of your school year. So it actually, it doesn't feel all that new. You know, you might have new classes once you're in like high school and university, but uh, some of those classes carry over. Um, and so it's just kind of like a holiday right after Christmas to me. Um, but this year will be my first one where I'm out of school. And so the new year really does kind of mean like the start of a 12 month period as opposed to the ending like of a six month period. And so, uh, you know, I haven't given any thought to what I need to resolve in my life. Uh, because I kind of like my life, Corey, I like doing this podcast with you. Thanks, I man. like being out of school. Uh, I like the advent calendar I got to eat all throughout December. And so, <laughs> you know, I don't really I don't really have anything pressing on my mind right now in terms of New Year's traditions of the past. Uh, you know, when I was in elementary school, my family and I would just like bang some pots and pans together. And sometimes <laughs> the, the New York ball would be on TV. And so we'd, <laughs> we'd follow along with that. Is that what it's called? <laughs> Yeah, the Everybody ball drop. gather around and we'll go look at the New York ball. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like a, it's a physical, like literal no, ball, you know? I know, but I just, I like that. I like the phrase, the New York ball. That's very good. Sorry. Oh, thanks. Um, 
and and every year my dad would just talk about how much he hates Kathy Griffin and I would say dad why are we watching this and he would be like I don't know it's the New York ball and I was like you're damn right were you guys having a New York ball while watching like a good time yeah is that's what that means now that's what we're going with (laughs) yeah I mean it would be a good time normally there'd be like leftover Christmas candy from your stocking, you know, like some chocolate orange pieces and stuff. And I would just still be relishing in the time off school. I like that it's snowy outside and dark all the time. So I would be enjoying that. Um, my most fond memory of New Year's is uh, maybe not. Does fond mean that you like it? This yeah. isn't a memory I like. Oh, no, then it's not. But fond it's, at it's all. a vivid. Well, it's wait. the first memory. So you can just say vivid. That's fine. I think that that'll be allowed by the gods of uh the podcast gods all right well i vividly remember this fond memory of being like (laughs) in the sixth grade and uh my parents had a party um and this isn't something my parents did you know especially my dad he doesn't really have friends and like we were never a have people over to the house household in terms of my parents you know i can't believe you just dragged your dad like that saying he doesn't have any friends oh he he knows it dude (laughs) he uh he proclaims it he wears it as a badge of honor um that's good it's just who he is uh you know so my parents would never really have people over we wouldn't have anyone over for the holidays for christmas uh you know no work friends it was kind of just just the four of us my brother and my parents but this year for whatever reason uh i guess my parents were still like in their mid 40s at this time they had some life left in them they uh (laughs) They had some like work friends over, a bunch of people I didn't know because this wasn't a regular thing, so I didn't have like years to get to know these people. They were just over one night. I talked to them a little bit when they came over. I was on the couch reading a Goosebumps book, Calling All Creeps, which is one of the best Goosebumps covers if you guys ever want to check it out. And I read that for a little while as people were mingling around me and eventually, you know, I just got fed up with like people asking what I was reading and my brother wasn't there, so I didn't have him to confide in. And so so I just retreated into my bedroom. I had just moved into this bedroom that year, and it was a bedroom that was on the floor that the party was on, whereas if I hadn't moved, I would still be a floor below. So I retreated into my bedroom, and I really needed to occupy myself because this party was going on right outside my door, and I didn't want to be involved in it. And this was before I could be on my phone. I didn't have a computer in my room. Reading Goosebumps books wasn't working. So I took out my trusty video camera, which I had used to make short films, you know, all that year. I think I'd got this camera the previous Christmas. And I took out my video camera and I turned it on myself and I learned how to blow a bubble in bubble gum. I'd never known how to do that. I would must have been like nine, ten years old. I'd never learned how to blow a bubble. And so I decided this is the year I'm going to learn how to do it. And I'm going to do it now. I'm not going to work on it throughout all of January. My resolution is to do this before the ball drops. <laughs> and I, I mean, I did it like it didn't it didn't take that long. And so there's some sort of video footage of me in like 2007 blowing a bubble in my room. And I was still like sad like it wasn't. Uh, I was bummed that like all these people were at my house and I had to be locked up in my room. So like if you watch the tape, I'm sure like this bubble happens and then I just kind of like hang my head and slump my shoulders because like it's it's one of those things where it's like, yo, you know, if I do this New Year's resolution, maybe it'll make me happy. And then you get the thing you wanted and you realize it doesn't fix anything at all. So first of all, wow, that's a lot that last bit that you said was a little tragic but um so you're telling me that somewhere in your house there is footage of like a despondent child chewing gum 
Yeah, yeah, and like <laughs> fail and, and failing, failing to, to blow gum. bubbles yeah. over and over again. Oh my yeah. god, that's that's got to be something else. That's got to be yeah. a wild piece of footage. You guys can email into the show and ask <laughs> for us to tweet it, but I can't guarantee you'll be able to track it down. It's on one of those like mini discs somewhere. This was a video camera that recorded to those small like CDRs, and so uh, oh I can god. try. I can try if you guys want it, but that's no a promises. trip, dude. What about you, Corey? Is uh, New Year's when you come alive? I know you're not a big Christmas guy. Uh, New Year's is not when I come alive. No, I've never. That's also tragic. Yeah, I mean it's not. I'm all right. I'm doing fine. But yeah, I never really gravitated toward New Year's because I guess I just never really got hooked on the idea. Like, it's a real. It's a pretty arbitrary reason to get excited. So I, I have a hard time getting excited about it. And um, in high school and things like that, I wasn't a huge, like, go-to-parties person. Um, so that wasn't a huge draw for me. That was more of a, a negative than a positive was the prospect of going to a party. So mm. I would just kind of hang out, like, maybe if friends were doing stuff that wasn't on a super huge scale, I'd go do that. But other times I would just kind of hang out and do whatever, which I'm perfectly, like, content with. But as a result, there's not any huge, like new year's moments that stick out in my life and i'm also not really a resolutions person um i think maybe at some point i probably tried stuff like that but i probably didn't stick to them very well just like i guess most people probably don't so i mean whatever and um you're right because you know you can just kind of choose to start to do things whenever you want like it doesn't have to be this thing that you think you want and need to do right now because like I don't know. We could have made doing this podcast a New Year's resolution and maybe we would have been doing it and forcing it and having a bad time. But we just decided to start it when we started it. And here we are at the end of a year having a grand old time talking about movies. So maybe there's an alternate universe version of us who fucking hate doing this show because of New Year's resolutions. Yeah. And uh, that would be a buzzkill. So I'm glad that that's not where we are. Yeah, it's a good thing we didn't. Then we would just have like a. There would be a bunch of recordings of me out there doing things on New Year's and like being disappointed. <laughs> that you <with> hate <laughs> audio and visual recordings. Oh my God. There's Got a it all covered. There's a photo collage somewhere of you just looking sad in a bunch of different poses on New Year's Eve. Yeah. A Microsoft PowerPoint. <laughs> And everything's got like a star wipe transition to try to give it a little bit of pizzazz, but like it's just not happening. Um, so before we get into the movies that we covered on the show or the series that we covered on the show, rather, um, maybe this was an inevitability. Don't worry. I'm not going to ask you what your favorite movies of 2019 were because who's got time for that? Too much work. You end up leaving stuff out. It's a real drag. Um, too many options, if you ask me. But I do want to open the floor to if there was anything that you saw in the last year that you really think other people should watch. Like, it doesn't necessarily need to have even come out in 2019. Maybe it's just new to you. Is there a recommendation or two that sticks out of things that you saw? Well, you know what? I would actually recommend a movie from uh, our show that we did here. Carrie 2 was a big takeaway. I uh, I thought that was a really, really effective movie uh, emotionally and also in the series of Carrie. It was effective on so many levels, um, effective as a teen movie, effective as a horror movie, effective as kind of a fun fist pumping movie, effective as a sad drama. And um, so 
like I said in the episode, you know, if you guys didn't check it out or if you need a reminder, um, if you like Carrie or you like teen movies, horror movies, any of these things, I would uh, I would really recommend checking that movie out. Um, you know, I don't I don't know exactly where you can find it. I think it's on YouTube to rent. Um, I guess we're kind of we're getting closer to the what 20 year anniversary of that movie it would be at this uh, point it uh, already is it came out in 1999 oh look at that and like we were saying you don't need reasons to celebrate this thing numbers are arbitrary so you don't have to wait for the 20 first uh, 22nd anniversary just like watch <laughs> it it's uh it was really good and in terms of movies that did come out in 2019 i talked about this one on the show too but there's a movie called One Cut of the Dead that is yeah. streaming on Shudder, and it's a, a horror zombie movie that um, is just an absolute blast, and it's one of the uh, it's it's one of the greatest cinematic magic tricks I've ever really seen. I wish I could watch it for the first time again, and I'm so excited to watch it with people and see their reactions. It's one of those movies, and so I would suggest people check that out as well. What about you, Corey? Um, well, then I'll also start not with uh, something from the podcast, but I do want to um, re-up that Carrie 2 is a highly underrated movie. And I've been trying to plug the episode a bit to get more people aware of the movie because I definitely think that it's in a position to have an Exorcist 3 style renaissance if enough people start to watch it. Um, so Carrie 2 definitely gets a recommendation. The first thing I'll recommend is also not from... 2019 uh it is from 1965 so bear with me here but there is a movie that i tried to watch three different times in 2019 and every time it was a blast but it's so long i just couldn't finish it and i finally finished it that movie is the great race which is directed by blake edwards and it stars tony curtis natalie wood jack lemon and peter falk and it's kind of like a Looney Tunes cartoon come to life in terms of its comedic style. It's a super long three hour movie about um, the great Leslie, who is uh, Tony Curtis and um, his like arch rival uh, Professor Fate and Professor Fate's henchman Max. And they're racing a car from Europe to, uh, from New York to Paris uh, and Natalie Wood is playing a reporter who is fighting for women's right to vote because this is at like the dawn of the automobile basically it's got this very early 20th century thing going and uh, she's all about women's emancipation and all that and they get into some wacky hijinks and um there's a whole um subplot that happens later with someone being confused for the prince of another place and like a coup and a king and um it's just really really weird and so 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 funny and it's so worth the time commitment that it may have taken me it took me three different tries in three different cities to watch that movie but it was absolutely worth it and um i want to make sure that people give that a look if i had to give recommendations for 2019 i would give one documentary and one fiction film the documentary is apollo 11 from todd douglas miller it's a movie I wrote a very loving five-star review to. Um, I saw it with Liam the first time, actually, and he can attest to how into that movie I was. And um, it's just a really beautifully crafted documentary based on nothing but archival footage. So it creates a really interesting portrait of not just, you know, the standard 
great man myth style thing of people going to the moon, but just like a bunch of people working on something, which is really interesting. And if I wanted to pick a fiction film, again, I don't think this is necessarily my favorite film of the year or something, but a movie that I definitely think people should watch is uh, Midsummer. Uh, that movie fucking rules. Um, Ari Aster is back at it again. And um, that's a movie that definitely got a lot of love. And, you know, I could use this spot to recommend something that didn't get a lot of love. But if you haven't seen it yet, for some reason, you really should do that. I feel attacked. Why? <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. Oh, <laughs> well, you should see it. It's really good. Um, yeah, I, I can back that recommendation having not seen it, you know, just yeah. on the on the goodwill of Hereditary. I figure anyone should give uh, Midsummer a shot. Totally. It convinced me to buy a very expensive t-shirt. So, you know, if yeah. it could do that, yes. what can't Corey, it do? Corey is not a frivolous spender either. He uh, that has to, yeah, got to be convinced. Yeah, I, I try not to be. And then every once in a while I do some shit like that and I feel like an idiot. But I wear that shirt a lot, so it's fine. <laughs> There you go. Clothing um, is important. Dude, you got to cover your body up. Not everybody wants to look at your bod all the time. Um, and if you take they made one, another one, the if, body negative podcast. <laughs> the kink shaming body negative podcast. They made another we, one. We yick all the yums. Uh, no, yuck, not yick. Oh, okay. Yick is nothing. What is a yick? Yucking yums means nothing to me, too. I don't know what that means. Well, because yuck is gross, and then yum is tasty so it's like I don't, i'm not trying to yuck any yums is like i'm not trying to say that other things things other people like are gross those people can do whatever they want oh i see i see and it all and there we go speaking of things that are gross and kink shaming let's talk about hellraiser yes yes so <laughs> reminder neither Corey or i had seen the original hellraiser hellraiser 5 inferno was our fir- was our introduction to the series and both of us went back and watched the original hellraiser for yeah. this podcast and um for anybody who doesn't know hellraiser is a movie that came out in 1987 it was directed and written by clive barker and it stars ashley lawrence claire higgins andrew robinson sean chapman doug bradley as pinhead and um yeah, I think this is the only movie we're going to talk about today where neither one of us had seen the original. Um, yeah. I think with everything else, you had kind of had it covered and I was playing a little bit of catch up. But I think that makes this one has a lot of potential to be a really interesting conversation. And for anybody who doesn't know, Hellraiser as a series in general has a reputation for being very, you know, sexual, frankly. And um, it has a very, uh, I guess, like bdsm adjacent reputation because it does sort of play in the space of balancing things like pleasure and pain and what desire looks like and what those things mean for people and where that line is i think pinhead describes the cenobites as uh exploring the further reaches of experience which is an interesting way of putting that yeah, all we had to go on was a direct-to-video version that came out in the year 2000, so we're a little bit far removed. And uh, with that bit of setup out of the way, Liam, what did you think about Hellraiser? This movie is evil, man. It is... Uh, I, I spoke in the Hellraiser Inferno episode about um, being so into horror movies and horror movie franchises and never having seen any Hellraiser movies just because the aesthetic that I got from you know simply the poster... 
um, never appealed to me. You know, I, I saw Pinhead like in the video store, and I I just had no interest in seeing what he was up to. Um, <laughs> His shenanigans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's not. It's not that it scared me and I was like, oh, I don't want to be too scared by this, but it certainly unsettled me. And I like being unsettled in horror movies. Absolutely. But this it was just it just in a way that didn't didn't seem interesting to me, you know, and I uh, and so I, I wasn't that interested in it. Um, but I certainly was interested now to to finally check it out, you know, and uh, I'm glad I saw it. It is a. Uh, it is a it's a heavy movie, man. It's really um, it's 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 a lot more character based than I expected it to be, which I really loved. Um, it kind of it has the heart of like a Stephen King story, where where the characters are kind of propelling it forward, and then the horror is in the background as an extension of them. Because the Cenobites actually don't have much screen time in this movie, but when they do, they make a lot of impact, and even when they're not on screen the the foreboding and just like the there's a really dark underbelly to this movie that just kind of permeates every frame and i felt that from the very beginning um it starts off you see like a bunch of hanging hooks and a bunch of bloody gunk on the ground and immediately i was like oh this is yeah this is what i thought it would be uh this is the kind of movie that i would like i would turn off really early on just because like i'm not in the mood for it you know what i mean um i'm glad i kept going because i really do think it is uh it's a movie that that kind of just feels iconic um that's that's a word that's thrown around a lot now like in the shane dawson age but it's the same feeling i got watching like jurassic park for the first time where it just it it, i feel like yeah, 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 yeah. Like wow. it just it it didn't feel like a um as deep cut as I thought it would um as the movie carried on. It had this confidence to it and uh Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so to finish it up, I was I was struck by um by all of those things and I was struck by um how the movie was what I thought it would be, but also it wasn't just that you know it did it had a lot of um what felt like a lot of heart to me but all that being said i don't want to watch it again i don't want to watch any sequels it still (laughs) doesn't appeal to my sensibilities clive barker is like not a dude that i'm super interested in um just because i um (laughs) <laughs> the Stephen King comparison is really only when the Cenobites aren't on screen, but even when they're not on screen, because like the movie feels creepy all the time, it's just it's not really what I want to see in a movie. I appreciated that the the female character, um, that the infidelity, yeah, that she kind of had. She was the main character, and her oh, no, infidelity, not Kirsty, then Julia. Yeah, and she had this infidelity um, plot that was weaved through it. I, I didn't expect that, and I thought that was nice. But um, it's it's just it's a movie that uh, really really grossed me out, and um, it's not the world that I want to live in for like an hour and a half. I'd much rather see something different. So you know, I'm glad I saw it, but. I feel like my my younger self knew myself enough to avoid him, and uh, my New Year's resolution isn't to watch more Hellraiser movies. I'm good. Good to know. Um, well, this movie is not 
what I thought it would be in a way that just made me a lot more bored and disinterested than I thought I was going to be. Um, I had a really, really, really difficult time getting into that whole Julia Frank relationship. Like I just didn't give a shit at all. Um, and I didn't feel compelled to care about that. Some of that may be the fault of my own expectations going in or what I thought the movie might be like. But once I got into what it was actually doing, um, I really, I struggled to get invested and I struggled moment to moment to like remember things. I was kind of surprised at how not memorable a movie it is. And it feels very like, eh, in my memory. I'm glad I took notes because otherwise this section would be a little bit more difficult. There are definitely points, especially when the Cenobites become more pronounced and, you know, Pinhead does give that further reaches of experience monologue and they're trying to dig into that sort of desire based or sexuality based side of it that feels a bit more like radical window dressing than something it's actually interested in like engaging with because it felt like that desirous or sexuality angle was just a funnel to get really gross gore effects out but when i was watching it i didn't feel like it was interrogating those things in a meaningful way you're just sort of watching julia realize that uh frank is up in the attic um just like a husk basically and needs like blood and then he's like and then she goes and she seduces guys and kills them and he gets it and you're like okay um and i was surprised that kirsty isn't really the main character um she has a bit of a final girl role ultimately but um she's not the focus of the movie at all uh i like her performance quite a bit but i don't really know why there is that perspective shift because we spend so much more time with Julia than we do with her. So I think overall I was just kind of confused and not sure what to do with it. All the effects are great though. The effects are so fucking good. Like Frank's decomposed, like half body is gnarly as fuck. And whoever was on set operating the fog machine was having the time of their life. Yeah, totally. I definitely kind of struggled with this movie. I would say it was a letdown. Maybe my expectations weren't where they were supposed to be or something. Not to say that I was expecting too much out of it because I think they were reasonable, but I don't know. It just didn't really click at all. Fair enough, man. Yeah. Um, there is a homeless man who turns into a bone dragon at the end though, like a, a dragon made of bones. And that was wild. I remember that for sure. Yeah, I don't know. If you don't have anything else to say about uh, Hellraiser, we can move on. But yeah, it was definitely a bit of a mixed bag for me. Yeah, I have nothing else. I just figure we could play a little game as we go along. Oh boy, let's do that. What's the game? So for every series, let's say which one we prefer. Ooh, I like or that. Which one, which one we would recommend, you know, however you want to interpret it. So I'll go first for the Hellraiser series. I would recommend people watch... Hellraiser over Hellraiser Inferno because I don't think the stuff in Hellraiser Inferno that isn't the Cinnabites is that interesting. So if you want Cinnabites, go for the original. Yeah, despite everything I just said, I would also say that um, mostly because 
Hellraiser Inferno was a pleasant surprise because we forced ourselves to watch it. That doesn't mean it's necessarily something you should seek out just because. And I think based on what we knew about it going into it, we were able to be pleasantly surprised. But if you needed to pick a movie to watch from that series, you may as well start at the beginning and get um, the purest, in a way, most intentional version of what that series is from the creator of it. Um, Good way to put it. Yeah, totally. So uh, if we're going chronologically here, um, like I said earlier, there's a few that we're skipping. We're not talking about Airbud today. Um, 2001 is a movie that there's really not much more you need to talk about. But we are yeah, going. And, to- and, and oh, when go Corey ahead. and I have, when I, when Corey and I have both seen the other movie in question in the series, we're also gonna. We talked about it in the episode, you know. Yeah, we we realized that there was no way we were gonna sit down and talk about every movie here. So we chose some ones that we think would be good for conversation where um maybe not everything has been said about it or it was new to one of us so that's kind of the logic we're using here and uh we're we're filling our blind spots yeah we're filling blind spots sorry for the interrupting and in 2020 i will try to interrupt you less there we go nice good one (laughs) problem solved uh so next up we got the exorcist and i i I make this uh statement a lot truly a movie that needs no introduction um (laughs) everybody knows what the fucking exorcist is it's the exorcist um and it is a movie from sorry here wait but that's an introduction i it's a joke liam (laughs) (laughs) i'm still gonna say like who made it because everybody knows what the exorcist is but maybe not everybody knows that it's directed by william friedkin and written by william peter blatty starring linda blair ellen burston max von saito jason miller and jack mcgowan maybe they don't know that Eh, now they know that um, I think everybody needs to because everybody's performance in this movie fucking rules. So everybody should know that. We shall remember their names. We shall remember their names. And um, this is a movie you had seen. Yes. Yeah. I watched this movie four and a half hours ago. All right. So tell it. And I mean, I kind of knew this already. This is a masterpiece. This is a this is a fucking incredible movie. It's like an exquisite movie. And I think its biggest strength is its patience. It spends a lot of time setting things up. And even once the things are set up and uh, Reagan is going through her possession and they're trying to figure it out and they've got doctors and psychiatrists and the whole thing, um, it's still slow but effectively paced and patient and it takes time and it sort of stews in all the misery that it's putting her mother through and it stews in all the misery that... um damien karras is being put through and it really sort of forces you to sit in it and just feel bad and um the supernatural elements start off very faint like her candle bursts in the attic before uh the flame goes out and you're like oh that's mysterious and then it's like there's the bed shaking and then before you know it there's um like a possessed child like jabbing themselves in the groin with a crucifix screaming let jesus fuck you um which is a lot um it's like i know it's from 1973 it's still a very effective and affecting movie to watch it's a hard movie to watch at times it's um a moving movie to watch a moving movie jesus um and everything feels poignant the script is great the performances are all great especially i would like to give particular note of course to linda blair and uh jason miller i would in particular um i don't know how the fuck 
Linda Blair did that as a kid. That's insane. And um, you can really feel what Jason Miller is going through as Damian Karras because he's really put through the ringer while having a crisis of faith, while being brought in to deal with this other thing. And um, there was also something I really loved about the way Friedkin is using the camera. It feels like the camera's always moving. And that feels really unique. Um, whether it's following a character or it's moving through the frame as characters aren't moving, um, it makes a lot of really interesting choices like that. Um, there's barely any music, so when that kind of thing hits, it really works. But a scene I'm thinking of is uh, Kinderman, who is the detective covering a related homicide, is talking with uh, Reagan's mother, whose name is Chris. And um, they're sitting at this table, and he's basically suggesting that maybe Reagan, as a possessed individual, um, could have committed a murder by pushing somebody out of a window. And as they're sitting together, the camera really, really slowly moves in as he explains his whole thing, his whole theory. And then you sort of think that the it's getting closer to him as he is reaching this conclusion and illustrating his point and getting closer to a potential solution to this um, mystery that they're trying to work through with what's wrong with her. And... Um, but then gradually the camera starts to zoom back out as he sort of brushes it away as a potential fantasy or something that's not likely. And it's an idea ultimately, at least for the scene, rejected by the mother and himself. So the camera's movement is a really effective way to get across other ideas in the movie. And I mean, you know, it's got the reputation it has for a reason. This movie fucking owns. <laughs> like, I don't know what else to say. Well, you can say, uh, which do you pick? The Exorcist or The Exorcist well, wait, 3? wait. What do you think about The Exorcist? We can't jump right to the game. Just because you've seen oh, it before I mean, doesn't mean I want to know. What, I don't want to know what you have to say. Everything you already said, man. It's super scary, uh, super moving. It also feels like Hellraiser in that, like it's scary all the time, but it's scary in a very different way. Hellraiser just like kind of makes me want squirm and like want to take a bath, whereas yeah. Exorcist makes me feel like. Um, there are dark things around me all the time that I just, like, might not realize. Whereas I can distance myself from Hellraiser, you know, that's not the world I live in, and it's, like, a, like a, right. it's a, it's a disgusting fantasy. The Exorcist doesn't feel quite like a fantasy to well, me. Yeah, it's, it's simultaneously, like, consistently tense and ominous. Like, you feel like there's something foreboding over you. And I think the religious angle does a lot to help that, um, because, you know religion is something that people deal with not i don't want to say that there's nothing in hellraiser that people don't deal with but like demons aren't real like hell like we're gonna we're gonna sex hell demons are podcast. not real so yeah. um pinhead doesn't exist but the devil might i don't make the rules i'm not dead yet i don't know if anything happens after i die but um i think having an awareness of in this case, especially Catholicism, though, and how those things operate makes it feel way more real and therefore scarier. I'm not a religious person. Um, I don't believe in anything, but I went to Catholic schools growing up. So it's weird witnessing um, an exorcism where you're familiar with the words they're saying before they're going to say them because it's all ritualistic and repeated. So it's like, you know, the words of prayers. Meanwhile, there's like a girl floating in the air and putting those two things together in your brain is a weird thing to work through of something that clearly looks impossible with something that feels really familiar. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. This is a movie that just works on like every level, top to bottom. Yeah, yeah. I would love to see it again. I mean, I haven't seen it since I was a kid. Um, they play it at a theater here in our town 
every Halloween or so. And so uh, I would love to see it on the big screen. That would be a great way to revisit it. Yeah. And um, it's just super un unflinching too. like you see some really harrowing shit and you hear some really upsetting shit. Um, mm. And even especially after um, Damien Karras launches himself out the window to sort of take the possession on himself and then like end the struggle. Um, that's super affecting. But then when Father Dyer arrives and tries to like give him last rites, and he's just like basically a flinching, bloody hand on the ground, like I was moved to tears. It's so upsetting. Like it's really incredible stuff. And then everything with the exorcism is just so fucking harrowing and miserable. And the whole process of the mother trying to find out just what the fuck is wrong is just completely draining. Yeah, I don't know. It's like it's it's a it's a five out of five. There's there's nothing quite like it, even still, I don't think. And when it comes to which one you should watch, this or The Exorcist 3, um, watch them both, but watch this first, because that's the order they go in. But you should watch both of them. They're both fucking phenomenal, and I have no doubt that Exorcist 3 is only made better by having seen The Exorcist. So absolutely please watch both of these movies. Yeah, um, my pick is for The Exorcist as well. It might be a bit unfair to say because I just watched Exorcist 3 a few months ago and I haven't seen The Exorcist in so long. And The Exorcist is something that comes up so much in pop culture, those images and those scenes. Um, and so I might be a bit influenced in that way. But the way I see it is that despite being over a decade removed from The Exorcist, um, and only being a few months away from The Exorcist 3, which I loved so much, The Exorcist sticks with me, you know, far more. I can I can just see a lot of those scenes and even even the stuff that isn't, you know, uh, the masturbation sequence or like the vomit sequence, any of that stuff. Um, I can just kind of like I can see the outside of the house and I can see the sky and I can uh, see the looks on the faces of like, her family as this is going on and that stuff has stayed with me whereas the exorcist 3 i have to think a bit more about how and why i love it you know and there are a few scenes that come to mind from that movie immediately when i think about it but it's still it's not quite as entrenched in my being and that might just be from uh you know the the fact that people don't talk about the exorcist 3 as much and maybe one day it'll get to that point um but for now i got to say you know, check out The Exorcist because uh, it's not just the images that you see on screen all the time. It really is an affecting movie, just like Corey said. You know, he just saw it um, and he was familiar with all those images and seeing them all tied together, it still hit him. So yeah. I would check out The well, Exorcist. And impressively, there was a lot of images I wasn't familiar with even still. Like there was plenty yeah. of stuff that surprised me um, and jarred me which i think is great but even the image of just seeing their breath hang in the air in that room because it's so cold and because it's a really commonly known factoid now knowing that it was actually that cold in that room just makes it feel so tactile even though it's so it seems so unreal it's 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 just great and uh right after that um on the show we covered the remake of a nightmare on elm street uh, so I got to watch the original, which is a movie that I was very embarrassed about having not seen. And now I finally have, which is great. Um, I feel like in a lot of cases, because, we, because we've because we covered so many horror movies, that 
I'm maybe preaching to the choir here and giving some of these rundowns. I feel like maybe people listening have seen a lot of these, though I don't want to assume too much. But for anybody who doesn't know, the original Nightmare on Elm Street came out in 1984. Uh, it is written and directed by Wes Craven, and it stars Heather uh, Langenkamp, John Saxon, Ronnie Blakely, Amanda Weiss, Sue Garcia, I hope I'm saying that right, uh, Johnny Depp, and Robert England as Freddy Krueger. And um, another movie that, if I want to keep the gag running, kind of doesn't need the introduction I just gave it. People know about this movie. Um, It's another one where I was kind of in a position where I knew a lot about it, but I hadn't seen it in its totality. Um, So I I had a sense of what the movie was like, but I didn't actually know. And um, I actually want to start with what you think about a nightmare on elm street and sort of what your thoughts are on that movie sure yeah i'll just uh i'll remind you and everybody else that nightmare on elm street is is one of the best horror movies ever made it's uh it's absolutely incredible the way it deals with dream logic you know when uh nancy is running up the stairs and she's melting into the steps and the way that you're in and out of dreams so seamlessly when she's in the bathtub or when she's lying in bed i love all that stuff i think all the all the the main kids, the characters are all uh, super likable and identifiable. I think the swerve of uh, making you think that Nancy's friend, whose name I don't recall right now, but she's memorable, I swear. Her dying in the first half hour or so is absolutely Tina. brilliant. And in Tina, and dying in such a brutal way is just so affecting the set pieces um, for these horror sequences are are absolutely unique. Um and I love Nancy as a character. I love the way uh, she is so determined to figure this thing out, and so much so that it's like causing her aging process to accelerate. Yeah, I think she that's gets great hair. Neat, it's such a neat touch, and it's also it's 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 a great horror movie in terms of those scares, but it's also just like a great adventure movie like this idea that she just needs to stay awake and then so she sets up all these booby traps for freddy krueger it's just it's really investing you know you just want to see her conquer the bad guy um i love how freddy is in the shadows almost the entire movie um i'm not a big fan of freddy in the later sequels i i like i like that he's just a conduit to these scares um i i think it's what you don't like freddy krueger turning into a television with arms (laughs) (laughs) not so much no and i just i think it's a great movie the only uh thing i would dock it for is the last scene and um i still don't quite understand how she defeats freddy in the end like i'm not super clear on what the rules are there um but it's a movie i could i could watch over and over and over again i think it's incredible oh yeah yeah the end of the movie's kind of confusing it's a great image like it's the the visual of the car with the soft top convertible that looks like his sweater is like so fucking tight (laughs) but um yeah yeah i love that too and the and the kids doing the jump rope and it's all slow i think it's it's really cool so i don't want to spoil it but this is probably my favorite thing that i watched to do all of this catch up um that's awesome dude i'm so glad yeah i think maybe um 
if we want to do the stupid thing of quantifying like favorite versus best um i think the exorcist is the best movie i watched and i think a nightmare on elm street is my favorite um but that's not to say that a nightmare on elm street is not good and i'm making concessions for it because this movie fucking rules so hard i could not believe how good this movie was for a lot of the reasons you're saying um you're so invested in these characters right away especially nancy there's a reason i think that they hold on to nancy in other movies and it's because she builds up so much goodwill because she's so defiant and so committed and so caring too about not just herself but her friends and the fact that they're in danger too it's not just this sort of self-serving need to stay awake or rather alive but also awake um yeah i think this is the perfect example of something that we come up with on this show a lot which is um so the remake of this movie has a lot of the same things in it but they feel forced or they feel inorganic or they don't feel like they have a sense of novelty anymore or they feel like they've been forced in there because they're in the original movie but I think the sign of a great original movie for these series and the sign of a great movie in general is that I knew a lot about this movie before I saw it because it's one of those, it's an iconic movie that's been around for like 35 years. That's what happens. But every single thing felt novel, felt original, felt well executed. I cared the whole time. The music, the music, Liam is so good why did no one tell me how good the fucking music is um and um it just feels like an organic development of these ideas rather than one that feels like it's going through motions the effects are all awesome uh the lighting is super great it's got a similar to hellraiser kind of like atmospheric lighting thing going on the dynamic between Nancy and her dad is really cool. The dynamic between Nancy and her mom is really interesting. That's a whole different thing. You you really are able to feel for her parents, I think, as much as her. Because obviously she's the one who's in more immediate danger, but they're they're trying. They just don't get it. And it kind of makes me wonder, like, why does no one listen to the teens in these movies? Like, this would be over so much faster if we just listened to the teens, you know? <laughs> parents just don't understand parents just don't understand that's why we put bars on all your windows nancy because we just don't understand yeah, but, oh my um, gosh yeah. I, I really like um how these characters interact with one another i really like um nancy and glenn together um i know that's johnny depp and uh i'm not a very big fan of johnny depp nowadays uh but even though his name was in the opening credits, I immediately forgot it was Johnny Depp and was able to love that performance bias free and then remembered it was Johnny Depp at the end. Oh, like you didn't you didn't recognize him, eh? You didn't see him and it, go, Oh, that, I didn't that's Johnny see Depp. Glenn and go, There's Johnny Depp. I just went, There's Glenn. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Oh, it was great. It made my viewing experience a lot better because I wasn't thinking about it. Because like it looks like him, but it doesn't because he's much younger. Much more crop tops and, dude that crop top's sick honestly love yeah it. i love it killer I fucking love it look um this movie does a really good job in a way that i was surprised about oscillating tonally between silly and serious um i didn't realize how much of an element of the silliness that comes with later nightmare on elm street movies was still gonna be here and it's obviously in more of a Freddy is actively fucking with you kind of way. But it's like he does big, goofy, spindly arms. 
and he just sort of like laughs maniacally and goes like woo but then he's also like immediately able to become very sinister and very threatening on like the turn of a dime and uh mm-hmm. that's really kind of terrifying it really effortlessly shifts between those things um and i think sequences without him also do that the classroom sequence in this movie is like one of the greatest horror sequences i've ever seen um tell people what happens there okay so nancy is in class and trying to stay awake or is kind of like nodding off in the back of the room and i believe they're reading hamlet is it hamlet or macbeth they're reading shakespeare i know that i watched this a couple weeks ago so i don't completely remember um and uh i love it because it's got a bit of that classic horror movie uh thematically relevant classroom lecture but that's what you call the boy meets world technique we got the boy meets world technique and um and at a certain point nancy falls asleep and the reason we're able to figure that out is because she sort of looks out the door into the hallway and um tina's like mangled dead body is there (laughs) in the doorway like asking or it's saying something to nancy i can't remember what because i've got a lot of different movies in my brain right now but nancy sort of follows that out into the hallway and um the body gets like dragged out of frame down the hall with this like blood trail and everything's very sort of white and clinical and she bumps into a hall monitor (laughs) eventually the thing that i think sticks out is the juxtaposition of the slow plodding through these hallways and then when she wakes up at the end just fucking losing her mind and it's such a stark contrast um because she's just wailing and screaming and panicking and you feel it and it's so like it's just so much that um that sequence just works so well i think in part because of how understated it is and how it's able to switch between those things and also having just such iconic imagery in it it's really good man yeah yeah, it's so good. I can I, see it as you're as you're telling it, and it, I just want to be watching it's it again. Funny, it's awesome. I feel like a bit of a dork, um, gushing about these movies that people already know are good, but like, it's really kind of incredible to me that they can be such a part of our shared like cultural understanding, or it can be things that people know through osmosis without having seen, or pe- things that people think they already understand. But then when you sit down and give these movies their fair chance, they're able to impress you still and surprise you and do things that you didn't think they would do and leave an impact the same way they left an impact when they came out in 1984 or whenever they came out. And that's just such a magical feeling for me, knowing that these movies are good because they're transcendently good in a lot of cases and they're still able to be effective despite, you know this slow passage of time and uh, its permeation through all of our like shared collective cultural memory, but it all still works so well. And it really, it underscores, I think how all of these remakes have potential to capture that same kind of feeling. But as we've experienced on the show a lot, it also sort of speaks to how there's not always going to be a substitute for that original and that they're always still worth seeking out. And that's been really fun totally yeah i'm a firm believer in that like a movie isn't its references and uh it's it's greater than the sum of its parts however you've experienced those parts and so um i think all these movies are referenced and talked about for a reason and um 
it's it's almost always rewarding to go back and check them out the same way that these uh, movies that have been forgotten or have gotten bad reviews, these sequels and remakes we talk about, they're not their reviews and they're not their reputation, you know, in a lot of cases. Um, and when it turns out that that's what they are, you have a better understanding as to as to why that's the case. So, um, you know, give stuff time. That's that's it. That's all. Yeah. And it's always worth checking them out, especially even if like we check out a movie that was reviewed poorly and then we also don't like it. It's like, well, maybe you'll like it. You can give it a chance if you want. I think there are certain movies and you can see it when they come out that are maybe not relevant to that kind of thinking or already kind of beyond the pale. Like you can tell there was no effort or things like that. But I'd say generally um, what it's illustrating is that if these originals can still be as good as they are and as beloved and as important that the sequels can deserve a fair shake if they don't wreak the stench of low effort cash in and even sometimes a low effort cash in is not so bad but i think if we want to use the carry two example again um that was not a low effort cash in on that name i don't think it's and if it wasn't attempted that it wasn't an effective one because no one remembers it and it didn't do very well so like despite all of that we watched it here and it's just so good and so interesting that it's worth looking into and i mean we were not crazy about the nightmare on elm street remake but if it encourages people to watch this, uh, which to answer your inevitable question relating to that game, please, for the love of God, people watch this movie. But, uh, you know, that's that's fantastic news. Yeah, totally. And I'm with you. Watch this movie. Um, I have a hard time believing that anyone would have seen the remake and not then or previously checked out the original movie because it's kind of a movie that came and went. You know, it really is a... It said they made another one. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, this one, check out the original. And uh, speaking of movies that are greater than the sum of their parts, we have... Oh, were you teeing me up? I thought you were going to say something else. No, I actually don't know what's next. I was just taking a jab. That's just... I'm keeping that in because that's fucking hilarious. That just uh, weird, awkward pause is so funny. <laughs> I don't um, know if this movie is greater than the sum of our parts. What's well, next? Next up is Carrie. Carrie is a movie that I had been meaning to get to for ages and ages because I am a big fan of Brian De Palma, so it felt like a bit of a blind spot for me. And this is a movie that's been remade and it's been sequelized like we've talked about and it's got an upcoming miniseries potentially, so we'll see where that goes. And um, it came out in 1976. It's based on uh, Stephen King story of the same name and uh it stars sissy spacek piper laurie amy irving william cat betty buckley nancy allen john travolta and pj souls and uh we definitely had a bit of familiarity with carrie because we were so interested in that sequel and now that i finally got the chance to watch it you know, maybe people are getting tired of me just showering praise on classic movies, but Carrie is so good. Like, it's incredible. Um, I think the thing that carries Carrie, to avoid the, the wordplay, is the performances. You didn't avoid it at all. No, that was, was a genuine accident. I swear to God, <laughs> that was a genuine accident. Um, the thing that really elevates the movie is the performances. And I think in particular kind of to my surprise because i didn't realize how much of a role she would play 
Piper Laurie plays Margaret, who is Carrie's mom. She is fucking amazing. Yeah, she's the best. I didn't realize that you didn't know how big of a role she would play. Like, to me, because this movie's been in my life so long, I remember this movie as, like, it's starring Carrie and the mom. Like, that's... Those are the two main people. It's it's Carrie and then the bad guy is the mom. And so it's really cool to think that you wouldn't figure that. But like that makes sense because she's not at the prom, right? Yeah. She's not one of the people who's bullying Carrie at school. So I get it. Yeah, well, and the prom is the thing that you know about. The prom is the thing on the poster. Like the slogan for the movie, if you've got a taste for terror, take Carrie to the prom. Everything I knew yeah. about this movie going into it was about how she just gets fucked around and bullied by a bunch of shitty kids and it all centers around the prom. So I had yeah. no real sense of what that whole other half of the movie was like. And it's fucking harrowing. Her mom so is you a didn't, nightmare. So you didn't see the poster that had the tagline, if you have a taste for terror, watch Carrie kill her mom. You didn't see that I one? I didn't see that one. That was very good and I hope you're proud of yourself. Thanks. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... I don't know, man. This movie fucking rules. Um, one of my favorite things about it, I think it it's kind of inevitable, is um, Brian De Palma's got a really unique eye, and um, the movie looks great. It's got a lot of patented slow zooms and um, telephoto lens shots from really far away, um, some overhead stuff, and obviously the split screen in the prom is fucking uh. amazing so scary dude that's, it's and that's so part unsettling. of what i had seen before but seeing it contextualized makes it so good yeah, so and good. all the red dude all the oh neon red and her eyes just shooting around i'm getting freaked out just talking it's about it. scary like it is genuinely scary also that even the poster is a fucking split screen so you know De Palma's really got his his focus here yeah but, the poster um, is scary the poster is awesome but like i think i was really struck by how scary that sequence actually is like it's a yeah. nightmare it is an absolute nightmare and it's weird because you feel weird because it's like you don't feel bad for that like group of shitty girls and like john travolta and all those folks who are like just being terrible to her but there's a lot of you know there's some innocent folks in there there's some people who tried to care in their way but didn't really understand like um like the coach and things like that and it's like Nope, y'all have pushed her too far. It's game the fuck over. Like, this whole fucking building's going down. And um, it's really harrowing to see it reach that breaking point. Um, and then see the aftermath with her mother and her mm. mom's awareness of that, um, in, in a way anyway, or her deciding that, you know, enough is enough and that her daughter is possessed. Um, and can't <sighs> handle the responsibility of being like a pious adult woman is just horrible. And her mother Dude, is just terrible. Like I'm sh I'm shuddering. This is one of the scariest movies ever made. It's so scary, guys. And it's not even scary for that long. It's what, 50 minutes, an hour until we get to the prom? But all yeah. that stuff just makes the last 20 minutes so <sighs> That so opening scary. hour, though, is so harrowing. So first of all, the opening sequence is a fucking nightmare in its own right. Because, wow, all those girls are so shitty. And it's like, yeah, you of all people should know that people get periods. Like, why are you bullying her so bad? She doesn't know what to do. Like, just be nice about something for once in your fucking lives. You know? Like, this shouldn't be difficult for these people. So you start with just 
a really harrowing I keep saying that, but I think that's the most effective word to be using. Set up for this character and then she goes home to her mother who just sucks so bad. And um but over the course of the movie, um, uh, with Sue and Tommy anyway, it turns out there were people who were kind of trying to help and maybe see if she could adjust a bit into the culture of the school and the coach is helping out and she's trying to in her way make things better and it's a very like oh if you just like put makeup on and smiled you'd be happy and it's like well that's kind of reductive but like somebody's making a fucking effort but watching carrie gain confidence and sort of stand up to her mother and be like no i'm going to that fucking dance like is really kind of endearing and then it all just falls apart because the whole fucking time John Travolta and Nancy Allen are back there nagging at you. Fucking PJ uh, Souls just like throwing yeah, it all that's away. That's a great way to put it, dude. It is so, it's such a crushing movie. Well, oh my gosh. And it's made worse. I think for me it was made worse because as I was watching it, I, I knew what was coming because you kind of, well, at least I knew it was coming at the prom. I didn't know that there was more with the mom and that shit sucked. That was hard. But it's a harrowing watch even if you don't have that knowledge because in the back of your mind, as you're seeing like oh carrie's like making a dress and she's like excited to go and she's asserting herself against this like really oppressive mother um you can't shake like they're up to something and maybe you don't know what it is yet if you haven't seen it and maybe you'd heard about it and you do but it's still just so tragic and it just sucks so bad to have her have to go through that but that makes her revenge so cathartic <laughs> like it's terrifying, but you're like, she's I guess least, so. It's cathartic in the way that it's like she's doing something for herself for once. But the fact that this has to be what that is is so fucking sad. And it's fucking terrifying. Yeah, dude. Like, There's a I catharsis see someone... within it, but it's buried under layers and layers of just like tragedy and horror. Yeah, like there's. So I'll talk about the remake for a second here, not the sequel, but the remake that the came out a few years ago Chloe with Chloe Moretz Grace Moretz. Yeah. The ending of that one feels like it's going for cathartic because she has like kind of these wide, like uh, this these these wide eyes that show that she's like in a different realm. But she she's making like facial expressions with her mouth, like she's not totally still, and she's moving her hands around, and she looks kind of like she's um in this sort of like aggressive ecstasy where it looks like she's commanding the people around the room and she she just looks a lot more in control of what she's doing whereas the De Palma movie like it like I'm watching someone have like a complete nervous breakdown and she yeah. like can't control it's almost herself and yeah and it's so like obviously she's upset at these people and she has every right to be upset at all these people but I don't think I don't think like she's reached yeah. a breaking point where it's like she has decided this is what yeah. she wants you know to what? do. Like I, I see a girl in that head that is like terrified of what's happening in front of her and she can't stop and it's absolutely excruciating. Yeah, I think you putting it that way, I think actually would make me kind of recant on the catharsis thing a bit because it's really sort of put into perspective and I'm looking at the poster again and it's like she's just got these really giant dead eyes and it's like such an intense look and i think you know you're probably right where it is more of just like like the cart's gone off the rails like it's just panic and anguish and just uncontrollable rage and that's very deeply upsetting it would lack that catharsis for sure so i totally i think i agree with what you you're saying more than what i initially said um yeah but you can i mean that's a that's the a catharsis totally could be read 
but absolutely it's a really valid read and it's just brilliant filmmaking because they weren't able to do that or they didn't want to do that in the remake um and part of me just thinks because that's very hard to do you have to get the right actor you have to shoot it in a certain way you have to establish this character prior in a certain way and it's been a few years since i've read the book but in my memory it is a lot more cathartic in the book she's um she's thinking in her head about how like they're kind of getting what they deserve and she's she's a lot more in control of what's happening that's my recollection of it and so um i think this climax uh well this first climax is 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 totally unique and i think that's why it's so scary because it would be a lot easier to make the movie where um this girl just decides to lash out and give the people what they deserve you know it's it's a lot harder to make a movie that um that doesn't make the bad guys getting killed uh a fist pumping moment you know yeah and it's really and that and that's horror that's horror that's why it's a horror movie for sure it's a really agonizing kind of experience and it's it's a very true horror statement i think for sure um and it's interesting i think because you know it's as outlandish a premise as something like a nightmare on elm street which is like a man who can kill you in your dreams but carrie's got this uncanny groundedness to it that makes it feel so much realer than that and it makes it even more difficult to stomach you know yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. I think a lot of that comes from the first hour, you know, how much restraint that movie shows. Um, sure, for sure. It feels like you're living, like you're just, you're seeing the exact same world we live in uh, the entire time, whereas Nightmare on Elm Street, it becomes clear pretty quickly that we're in a different world, but then the work that Wes Craven does with those characters, you know, it, it makes you, it makes that feel grounded too. And so I think that's just, that's a... Uh, that's the technique of like a great horror filmmaker. Yeah, totally. I, I agree. And obviously, as we've said a hundred times this episode now, please watch both of these movies. Both of them. Please watch the sequel, but absolutely watch Carrie. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And watch Carrie first because, you know, it's a sequel. So like it will yeah. it will be better Might if you well. do it that way. Yeah. Um, whoa. I almost knocked my mic over, folks. This is getting this is getting intense. <laughs> so um, next up. With your mind. i don't know what that was supposed to like represent happening (laughs) i imagined you being like the chloe grace moretz carry where you were lifting your head and you looked kind (laughs) of aggressive and wide-eyed and intrigued that's how i look the whole time we record is i just have a very (laughs) you're just in a fugue state (laughs) yeah pretty much (laughs) <laughs> Dude, what's I'm, next uh what's next is uh the movie that i think i was the most excited about and it's for similar reasons that i think carrie was exciting to me and it's because i'm a really big john carpenter mm. fan and i finally got to watch halloween and halloween is a movie that came out in 1978 um alongside black christmas it is a movie credited with in many ways sort of originating and typifying the slasher genre into what it is and um again directed by john carpenter stars uh jamie lee curtis pj souls again uh pj souls is two for two nancy loomis and donald pleasance this movie fucking 
rules <laughs> dude this movie's so good um it's a good one this was every halloween was the note that i took when it was over was this is exactly as good as i hoped it would be <laughs> um it's genuinely scary genuinely tense the movie the music is so good and um this is another thing where the cinematography really helps elevate it because of the way the camera moves and the way things are framed. It spends so much time following people and moving around that it's difficult to get comfortable. And um, so many of the shots are so wide, like these residential areas are shot with such great, like such a large frame that people sort of can move through them and become larger and smaller as they move toward and away from the camera. And you're sort of looking deeper into the frame to see if you can catch something that's not supposed to be there. Um, because Michael Myers sort of rears his head way earlier than I would have expected. And um, you start looking deeper into the frame to try to see if you can catch something. And it doesn't let you get comfortable because even if it's just the girls walking home or something, the way it's represented makes you tense and makes you wonder what's lurking around a bush or around a corner. And um, it's another example of a really great script with really great dialogue. Those main girls, Jamie Lee Curtis, I think in particular, are fantastic. It's It feels cutting edge because it is. And especially the point of view cinematography is killer. This movie's, this movie's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, <laughs> I don't know what to say that you haven't said and what a lot of people haven't said. You know, it's... Uh... It's a great movie. Um, I love the suburban feel. That's that's one of my favorite settings for any movie. Um, and it's also similar to Carrie in, in the way that it shows a lot of restraint. You know, you get tons of Michael, restraint. Michael Myers does show up early, like you say, but it's very different to the way he like shows up early in Halloween Resurrection yeah. or really any of the other sequels. Because at that point, like the cat's out of the bag, you know, and so it's cool that he shows up and kills people. But in this one um it's, it's it's a build until that until the last act um you know it gets you on the hook in that first scene with michael as a child but then from that point on it's just you're gonna live with these characters for a while so that when what we figure is going to happen to them happens it hits really hard and the climax um you know that whole third act with michael uh killing um Lori's friends and and trying to get to her it's all shot in such a thoughtful invigorating way just like Carrie and um it's 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 a classic for a reason you know it's absolutely incredible yeah it's like I almost there's nothing that doesn't work and like I don't know the ending um or like that the climactic sort of build to that where Lori is kind of confronting Michael Myers directly is a nightmare but the thing that really I think sets it apart is um, both its aesthetic qualities, but its patience I think is huge. The fact that, you know, we spend enough time with like fucking, I don't know. Is it which one of her friends like goes and does laundry? Like, you know, it's like there's tension in that because it's like, you're hearing noises outside still too. And we know that like things have happened to other people. Um, but like, you know, this movie's got time for people to do laundry it's patient. It knows when to spring those things on you. It's just really like perfectly executed. I don't know. Like, I don't know what else to say about it. 
it's exactly as good as everyone says it is yeah <laughs> yeah that's I, it i don't man. think so, I, I don't uh, think i realized when we had this idea that um so many of these movies were going to speak for themselves but like halloween really really speaks for itself it's got its reputation for a reason um and everybody should watch it because there's more to it than that reputation implies but the reputation is still richly deserved yes yeah and uh a couple of weeks ago i saw a video on youtube that is audio recordings of theatrical screenings of halloween back in 1978 or 1979 or so around the time it was released it's audio recordings of the crowd in a theater synced up to what they would be seeing at the time so you're hearing live reactions from people who are watching this movie before it had a reputation and I'll tell you, that movie speaks for itself, man. It's speaking directly to those people, and those people are speaking right back to it. It's, uh, That's it's so a great, cool. great, great, great movie. Uh, really quick, speaking of that, because audience reaction, uh, I want to jump back to The Exorcist for a quick second. Can't imagine what that did to an audience in 1973. Yeah, yeah. You can look up some news articles at your local library. I'm sure there'd be some At your local there. library? <laughs> Oh yeah, like, like just like a horror movie character, get on one of those big newspaper computer things and get out the micro pull up some film? clippings. The microfilm, yeah. Uh, so Corey, Halloween or Halloween Resurrection? What do you reckon? It's Halloween. Like I, I want to watch Buster Rhymes kick Michael Myers out a window as much as anybody. But you have to start with Halloween. You do have to start with Halloween. But I am going to, with all sincerity recommend that people watch both movies the same way we did with Carrie and with Night not Nightmare on Elm Street Exorcist um I think a double feature of the original Halloween and Halloween Resurrection would be so so much fun um because you're just going from one end of the spectrum to the complete other end of the spectrum and uh I think they're both so valuable but Halloween Resurrection uh is a lot more valuable once you're familiar with Michael Myers, um, if not just the original movie, because Corey hadn't seen it and still had a good time with the resurrection, but just the idea of Michael Myers and seeing that original one would help so much more. Just try not to get too attached to the original movie. Uh, You can love it as much as you want, but but, uh, if you get too attached, Halloween resurrection might make you upset. And so try to curb that a little bit. And I think you might, you might have a good time, you know, sip wine while you guys are watching Halloween <laughs> as an appetizer and then, you know, eat a nice meal and then have some dessert for Halloween. And then let them eat cake. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that would be a good that that that'd be a good New Year's. It's a shame it already passed. So, uh, yeah, put it on your calendars for 2021, everybody. Yeah. And, um, you know, yeah, resurrection is definitely a trip, but you don't want to go in like, ah, yes, a sequel to Halloween. You want to go in as like. I'm going to have a weird, goofy time with this movie, and then yeah. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, speaking of a weird, goofy time, it's cabin fever time. Um, so we were very excited because cabin fever, as I think Liam discussed, is a movie that he loves a lot. And I knew I needed to watch it for this. Um, this is the uh, 2002 version directed and written by Eli Roth. Starring Ryder Strong, Jordan Ladd, James DeBello, Serena Vincent, Joey Kern, and Giuseppe Andrews. And um, we watched this movie together the other day and kind of goofed our way through it a bit. 
because you had seen it so many times up to that point and i at least knew what i was getting into because the remake claims to relate so closely to it and use the same script and things like that but um how about you just pitch cabin fever for us and set up why you love it so much well i love cabin fever because it feels like a movie that was made by someone who didn't think they'd be able to make another movie and it's made by someone who i feel is a huge huge horror fan i love horror movies i love uh how fun they are i love the opportunities they present um I love their tropes. I, I love a lot about them. And so this was made by someone who loves horror movies and just put a bunch of horror movies ideas into one movie, but it's wrapped up in this killer idea that he had in the first place. You know, it's not just, uh, it's not like a scary movie, like the, like the parody film scary movie, where it's just a lot of like funny ideas all next to each other. He had a really great idea, which is some college kids go to a cabin, uh, skin eating disease breaks out and makes them all um suspicious and on edge and vulnerable and kind of turn against each other um personality wise because it's not actually something that turns you into to a zombie or uh, uh a horror movie villain which i think is really really interesting for and all so we you know have... it's something that has a cure they don't even try because no one ever gets absolutely a fucking doctor. absolutely <laughs> so you got these people these college kids sequestered in a cabin and uh, from there, there's just a lot of space for some cool ideas to happen around the forest, on the way to the cabin, on the way back from the cabin. And uh, I just think it is so, so fun. Um, but it's fun in this really unique way. I wouldn't call it a horror comedy, but I also think that it's one of the funniest horror movies out there i think every performance is so strong and unique i think a horror movie really really does need strong characters because you're putting them in a situation to to die a lot of the times and so you need their time on screen to matter and i think everyone in this character is incredible um from the kids to uh the police officers to the the cast of forest dwelling characters they meet along the way and um i just think there's so much in this movie uh that can be loved and you'll find it all in one one-stop shop and uh i just think i really really think it's brilliant and i love showing it to people for that reason because there's always something happening in this movie um you know carrie is a patient movie halloween is a patient movie we love the, those sorts of things but this is a movie that that is throwing stuff at you from the very beginning and it still manages to have a climax that really ramps things up and so um it's just it's a blast of a movie and it is absolutely one of my all-time favorite films so I'm so excited to watch it with you, Corey. Yeah, we had a lot of fun. I would describe this movie as a horror comedy, though. Um, I don't think I would describe it that way in the sense that it's loaded with punchlines. Because um, in a way it is, but it's not constantly setting up like verbal jokes and paying them off. But tonally, I think this movie is very aware of what it is um, and is able to oscillate between um, the funnier stuff and the horror stuff though it is never scary like it's a horror movie but it's not a scary movie um it's just something you can kind of vibe with and have a good time and like enjoy 
uh, because so much of it's like so dumb and so weird that like you can't help but have a good time. Um, I think we gotta talk about we gotta talk about Winston, right? I think that really sort of boils down the whole vibe of the movie is the is the interaction between Paul and Winston. Absolutely, yeah. Tell us a little tell bit it. about. Oh, I'll tell it. I was gonna yeah, let you, you tell you, it. No, you go right ahead, Corey. I want to hear what you have to say about this movie you know i've talked about it many times and i'll continue talking <laughs> about it but let's let's go for you so um for anybody who hasn't heard our discussion of the remake because this is functionally the same uh there's a man with a terrible disease in the woods who is accidentally shot by their idiot friend bert and when he comes to this group's cabin uh he tries to basically like steal their car to go get a doctor when they're not really that helpful because they don't want to get sick and they accidentally burn that guy alive and the truck gets destroyed and a cop shows up the following day and talks to Paul, who is played by Ryder Strong, who is great, of Boy Meets World fame. Yeah, well, yeah, one of my favorite actors. I am biased, but I have to say that I loved this movie before I ever loved Boy Meets World. So take that for what you will. And um, so he's talking with this cop whose name is Winston. And Winston's a real laid back, chill dude who's just kind of like, yo, did you guys get into some like shenanigans last night? You guys up here partying? And then like, Paul kind of explains what happens and like he's like oh well I mean I gotta write a report but like don't worry about it and he's basically implying like look I'm gonna write a report but I'm not gonna say anything bad because you guys are just party you're just trying to have a cool party time am I right man what you guys up here drinking 40s hanging out and then a Karen comes outside and he's like oh you got like ladies up here and he just starts calling Paul party man <laughs> it's like oh you guys like you're up here you're like the party man and you're like doing all this shit. i can't do it justice you have to just see the scene but it's such a perfect encapsulation of like really heightened nightmare horror scenario of burning a diseased man alive so you didn't have to die juxtaposed with laid back cop on a bicycle calling you party man yeah yeah but it's never it never like reveals itself to be a comedy like you kind of you get the joke like halfway through the scene but you're still not quite sure what's happening it's just it's a really peculiar you don't know movie, if you're, if you're you supposed know? to laugh or if it's just weird yeah yeah and i think a lot of that comes down to the casting um i think he's a perfect actor that they got to play that part but then you know the script uh however much of it is in the script is just like he's saying these things that every line he says kind of takes you off guard but like you said it isn't a punchline and um it's just it's such a peculiar movie so memorable and as you're talking about this scene right now you know we just we just watched this movie and like i would absolutely watch this movie again right now right? <laughs> it's yeah one of those people should check it out it's really it's just a funny weird worthwhile horror experience if you just want to like get some friends together and have like a weird time with a movie this is a good movie some stuff's aged a bit since 2002 there's certainly all word choice which is a little a uh, little harsh on the old 2020 ears but um you know don't let that detract from the overall experience of the movie which is a really good time and um don't watch the remake the remake's fucking terrible yeah uh agreed the remake <laughs> at, at me next time <laughs> What do you mean? Let's like say that, right? That's like yicking yapping yums. I don't actually know what it means, but like I get the idea. I wasn't talking. I wasn't calling you it at all. I was just saying the remake's bad because the remake is bad. No, yeah, I'm saying I agree. So oh. like, 
at me next time because like I'm with you, you know? Oh, I don't think that's what that's that what means. The... Oh, well, is you it? know what? Are you saying that next time I could say that we both think the thing is bad? This doesn't matter. We'll figure this out later. Um, <laughs> Twitter, Twitter sucks. I that. <laughs> what we've learned is Twitter sucks. Um, but yeah, the, the remake is basically that, but um, you took all the fun stuff out. You took the lighter tone out of it and you made all the effects grosser. So it's like a completely honestly worthless experience. Like Cabin Fever is the closest we've come to like a, a non-entity of a movie that we've watched. Because like Blair Witch 2 was like a fucking outrageous wreck but there is something valuable in how hard of a wreck it is but cabin fever is just nothing the remake is just nothing yeah yeah that is the probably the most nothing movie we've seen on this podcast even over blair witch too yeah uh, well blair witch if, is like, something that something is just insane but like, yeah yeah so if like if we had like a march madness bracket um i guess it would be flawed from the very beginning because like march madness like you're picking the top teams to fight against each other but if we had to have a bracket of all the movies we've done i would put cabin fever remake uh, like at the bottom it would blair witch 2 would beat it in terms of quality yeah totally 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 for sure yeah so that brings us to the end of our list for our first annual we'll probably do this every six months so it's not quite annual but um like recap episode and um this one this one's complicated this one's complicated for me for a lot of reasons and we'll get into it last but not least is old boy old boy is a movie from 2003 it is directed by park chan wook and it stars Choi min sik yuji tai kang hai jung kim byung ok yoon jin so and oh dao su we watched the remake of this movie from spike lee and um that might have been the movie i've hated the most so far um we talked about why for quite a while um we talked about why for an hour it's the remake is just so overbearing and in your face and lacks any of the what i assumed was the uniqueness and the stylistic flair and the the tonal back and forth just the uh the feeling of the original that I assumed was there based on what I had heard about it. Like old boy 2013 is just like such a cynical, meaningless adaptation of something that feels like it just sucks the, the heart right the fuck out of it. And that's why my reaction to old boy is complicated because while I watched the Korean version of old boy, I could not stop thinking about how much it made me hate the remake more to the point where I don't even think I was, focusing on old boy 2003 because i was so annoyed at the remake that i was like struggling to focus between the two of them that said i definitely think old boy maybe didn't land for me as much as it lands for other people um i think it's got a lot of aesthetic achievements but with the story itself maybe because the whole conceit had been soured for me with the remake i just it didn't feel like it clicked the way it's supposed to click i was still f invested but you know not as much as maybe i ought to have been and um despite the achievements of things like the hallway fight scene which are renowned and um how it's able to have a couple like wink and nod sort of moments while paired with some really fucked up stuff it was a really weird viewing experience having seen the remake already 
it, it's I like how it looks the original, but I just couldn't get around how badly the remake fucked it up. Yeah, so I was fortunate enough to see the 2003 version of Old Boy before uh, the remake that neither of us liked. Um, and all I can say in relation to this podcast and maybe what I haven't already said before is that I just need to apologize once again, dude. I am I am so sorry that you had to experience Spike Lee's version of Old Boy before experiencing the original. I'm because, sorry we um, had to experience it at all. Right, right, right. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, like I said at the podcast, I was able to have a bit of fun with the with the newer one because, like, I knew that I had the other experience, you know, in my past. Uh, and I could kind of coast off that good time. And then anything else that happens, you know, is just like gravy. Uh, and then I had to talk to you uh experiencing the the newer one and hear what you felt about it and the way that like it wasn't it wasn't all that funny you know and i realized how privileged i was and um (laughs) yeah i think the original old boy is uh a super super effective movie it affected me a lot I, i wouldn't wouldn't call it one of my favorite movies um for any reason uh it hasn't hit me like that but i just think i think it has a lot of craft and um, I think the twist hits really hard, you know? Yeah. Uh, that, the twist, twist is still can... effective in the yeah. Korean one, even if you know it's coming. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I think um, the performance of the villain in the original Old Boy really stands out for me and um, makes it such uh, a unique experience. You know, it's not just a typical revenge tale. I think the performance of our of our main character is also great but that villain is honestly one of my favorite villain performances i just remember watching that movie and being uh totally blown away about you know what he was up to and um just really quick i just say that is a ug tai who plays the villain and then uh choi min sik plays odaisu just so we got the actors names wicked yeah all of you did a great job at acting i'm glad you got paid for it because you did it it good uh yeah yeah original old boy is um is it's a really fun watch you know i'll check it out again at some point it's not a cabin fever for me just because it's a very different type of movie you know it's a difficult Um, watch yeah and so i'm sure i'll watch it again at some point in my life uh ideally with people who haven't seen it before and who haven't seen the Spike Lee original movie because why would anyone see the Spike Lee one not having seen the original unless like they had some dumb podcast you know yeah well the thing I want to point out because I I don't I don't really have a ton else to say about the movie unfortunately I think because my experience was just so profoundly fucked but um (laughs) (laughs) profoundly fucked the Corey price story oh no well my life in pictures (laughs) is this a backdoor sequel to hellraiser yeah (laughs) um so (laughs) what i will say is so i'm in a couple like discord chats and like other things for other shows that i like and they'll have channels where people talk about movies and i had mentioned to other people that because of this show i watched the remake of old boy first you along with everyone else literally <laughs> apologized to me on behalf of the movie mm, so like yeah. it is a known quantity how like colossal a fuck up that is um and it really just kind of f- fucking took me for a loop man i hated it 
and it i'm disappointed that it ruined my ability to take the original for what it is um but uh that does bring us to the end of our little recap here i guess just uh to put a little bow on it here uh if we want to take a quick reappraisal which one of those that we just talked about is your favorite i guess well it might be cabin fever but you know i figured i'd ask anyway yeah if we're going for original uh which one of those original movies is my favorite it would be it would be cabin fever um if we're talking about uh and then you know the other ones that are all up there are nightmare on elm street um halloween would be up there exorcist is up there but nightmare on elm street is honestly above both of those movies carrie is right up there with nightmare on elm street and but that's probably my top three is cabin fever carrie and nightmare on elm street of the movies we've watched and my favorite of all the uh sequel slash remake reboot movies that we've covered um i think was carrie 2 you know if i'm thinking of back to all that we've done and what's you know impressed me the most it, i think it was i think it was carrie 2 i i really love that movie and you know dr sleep is up there theatrically that was a great movie yeah um but I, I honestly, I haven't not enjoyed any of the movies we've watched just because the idea of talking about them is always so exciting. Because even if I don't know what I'm going to say, I know you're going to say some cool stuff and it's going to make me think of some stuff to say. And so uh, going into the new year, I just I want to put it on a record that I love doing this show. <laughs> I love watching all the movies and talking about them with you um i loved having laura on recently yeah i love i love talking with anyone about this about movies and uh it's been an absolute blast i look forward to doing it for as long as the internet still exists and podcasts (laughs) aren't taken away from us by like some sort of government overlord yeah let's hope that that doesn't happen anytime soon um and uh just a quick note we will have more guests in the future and um so you can look forward to having a few more voices in here besides our own in terms of the new stuff that we watched, what my favorite was, like I said earlier, I think it's A Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, I think then you have The Exorcist, um, Halloween, and Carrie all kind of in a dead heat for a second because they're all so good, but for different reasons, so it's hard to kind of quantify. And then if we're talking <laughs> about the stuff that we've covered for the show, I'll I'll try to pull five from this list because we've got 22 in here now. I think I'll pull a top five in no particular order. I want to give credit to 2010, the year we make contact again, because that movie is really, really good. And I remember that being a pleasant surprise for us early on, how much we liked that. Maybe more so me than you, because again, you're not the sci-fi guy, but it still definitely happened. Uh, Exorcist 3, like we talked about, rules. Um, Carrie 2, highly, highly underrated, like we've been saying. I would also give some credit to Halloween Resurrection just being like a weird trip of a movie. And uh, the new Black Christmas, again, is so, so good. And people should see it while it's playing. Yeah, we've had a really good half year in movies, and we're looking forward to the next full year that's in front of us. I also love doing this show. I love having a reason to take these movies at more than face value or movies that are usually disparaged and think critically and honestly and have a discussion in here that can be serious or fun and just sort of run the gambit. And I'm really excited to do more of that. Now seems like a good time to let people know that coming into the new year, um, this was decided last minute. So like our episode's not out on time. Um, we're missing the wave completely, but we are going to bend our rules a little bit and talk about cats 
it's kind of them making another one because it's been adapted as a stage play like a billion times. Now they're making a movie and that's another version of it. But um, I think that we just can't avoid the splendor of the train wreck. And I think that it's something that we want to see for ourselves. And it's something that we absolutely want to try to work through. So you can keep an eye out for that. And um, yeah, there's a, uh, there's a saying that not being political is political. And I think us not doing an episode on cats, like would be a statement. And that's not the statement I want to make. So we might as well lean into it for now. This is a cat's positive space and we'll see how that goes after we watch it. But, um, we would definitely love to make a cats related statement. Uh, so please keep your eyes out for that. That might not be next week. Um, we're not a hundred percent sure how these next couple weeks are going to pan out quite yet, but it will happen. So, you know, keep your eyes peeled. And, uh, that means you have to go see that train wreck too, everybody. And then we'll talk about it here. Now that we're done with our recap, I want to thank everyone for listening to this episode of they made another one. And also, all these episodes of They Made Another One, we've gradually been getting more listens. People are going back through the catalog. People from all over the world, which is fucking crazy to us. Um, It's really cool. And um, we're looking forward to more of that. All you people listening, you can find us all over the internet. On Twitter at They Made Another, all one word. On Anchor, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, Radio Public, and all kinds of other places as They Made Another One. You can reach us via email at theymadeanotheronepod at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and what your favorite movie was that we talked about in 2019 if you've checked them out. Uh, we'd love to hear that. That would be great. Um, if you use a podcatching service like Apple Podcasts or similar that has a review section, please leave us a review. They help get our name out there more, and we would love to get that kind of feedback. Don't feel like you have to leave a review just to say something nice. We will take constructive criticism as much as anything else but please don't be mean we do have feelings liam where can people find you you guys can find my film writing alter ego graham the haunted marshmallow on twitter and letterboxd my username is graham the mallow and you can find me on twitter at mr Corey price and um you know i'll inevitably tweet about cats when i see that so thanks for taking this ride with us we're really excited to do more Uh, We hope you enjoyed our little walk down memory lane here and you will catch us here next week for more. They made another one.